0: i Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Soder. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features stories and interviews about and related to music. Today on the program, we feature Kathy Peck. Kathy is the co-founder of Hearing Education Awareness for Rockers, also known as HEAR, a nonprofit volunteer organization dedicated to preventing hearing loss and raising awareness of the real dangers of repeated exposure to excessive noise levels from music, which can lead to permanent and sometimes debilitating hearing loss and tinnitus. Kathy talks about her first band, The Contractions, an all-female San Francisco punk band formed in 1979. She also discusses the creation of HERE after she suffered her own hearing loss when her band opened up for Duran Duran at the Oakland Coliseum in 1984. We talk about all the great work here has done over the years, the operation to restore her hearing, and the class action settlement she co-led that resulted in wheelchair access and assisted listening devices at all movie theaters nationwide. Kathy also discusses her recent publishing company, Monoma Music, which she started with her husband David Denny, who also used to play guitar in the Steve Miller band and they worked together on film scores such as Neon Sky and A Fierce Green Fire. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Live Radio. This one entitled Hear This: The Kathy Peck Story. All right, well, welcome, Kathy, to Music Live Radio. I'm glad you could come down and we could do an interview. Welcome,
1: Dan. All right. Um,
0: what we like to do is try to capture a little bit of a bio about you and start with some of your earliest memories of music. What were you influenced by when you were growing up? What kind of music were you listening to? What were your parents listening to? Where are you from?
1: Well, I, 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 I'm a twin, and I have really? a twin sister, Patty, ah. Patty and Kathy. And I grew. we grew up um, in Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And I have two brothers, Dallas, my older brother, and Mike. So when I was a little girl, uh, the first instrument I had was a piano, and I kind of hogged it. <laughs> <laughs> Even though my sister loved playing the little baby piano, when we got the, a big piano, I kind of took over. And uh, you know how some people will speak a language in in like a phony French, and they say they're speaking a language, Uh but they're not really? I would just get on the piano and just space out and create (laughs) all these
2: things.
1: (laughs) I kind of forced my relatives to sit there and listen to me, you know, and... Tort, literally, probably tortured them.
0: <laughs> so you just started. You just started right out the bat creating uh, music, music on your own. Yeah,
1: and in my first piano uh, recital, instead of like learning like everyone else did, I talked somehow. I talked to my piano teacher into letting me do original composition that I would play. I always wanted to write my own music. Yeah. So. <laughs> so to my detriment, I should have learned more theory and stuff like that. But, but it's spacing out, and uh, there's a lot said for spacing out <laughs> and having the time to do nothing,
0: uh-huh.
1: to being creative.
0: Now, what kinds of music were you um, uh, around besides just you know, piano and whatnot? What types of music, I guess?
1: Um, well, when I was little... My mom had one of those old-fashioned stereos. We used to call it stereo music.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and she would... I can't remember these these groups that would play the, this exotic type of thing with the vibes and rain, you know, David Martin Denny, something like that, uh-huh. code, like things like that. But then my sister and I, we, we brought in some... Uh, album so the the, you know the first thing was like dylan and you know
0: early folk uh, rock type stuff yeah
1: dylan and then uh the stones man i was a real big stones fan (laughs) 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 and and, uh you know and then later the beatles but i was a big Stones fan and dylan i really like them Mm -hmm. and uh and also early blues and uh like, really, my brother's was influenced me with blues, like Lightning Hopkins and oh, yeah. things like that. Of course, I lived in Texas. There was, like, a lot of, uh, you know, country western, but, but I kind of, I liked uh, Hank Williams.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely.
1: I mean, I like, I like really s- s- the simple songwriters. Uh-huh. The, like, the song stood up by itself, and, and you know, that was cool.
0: So you were playing yeah. piano, did you eventually end up taking any lessons or start? I did
1: take lessons mm-hmm. but I would always go off on my yeah. my tan, you know my tangent <laughs> like I like to just space out and write music and I used to drive my twin sister crazy and wake up in the middle of the night and I got a song, you know, I had a song yeah. in my head and she was, Oh,
2: it's stop, <laughs> <No>.
1: you <know>? <laughs> 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 Cause, uh yeah. And then later on, um, my dad passed away. And so my mother was a widow with four kids. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, ah, like in the 60s in Texas. Or actually, mm-hmm. it was still in the 50s, 50s or 60s. And uh, women didn't really have too many jobs back then. And so mm-hmm. she was, you know, it was pretty messed up. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, but my brother went off to the navy, and I remember I found his bass underneath his bed, yeah. and that's when I saw this bass guitar, and I thought, wow, <laughs> this is so too cool. So I just went ah, and somehow I just clicked with this instrument. Uh-huh. And before that, I had had an acoustic guitar. My mom gave it to me for Christmas, which she ne'er could afford. And that was, and she kind of pretended like she didn't get me anything, and I was kind of like bummed out, but didn't want to show it because I knew she was. We were having a hard times, uh, you know? yeah. And so, uh, so when she brought that out, just it was like awesome. So I had an acoustic guitar, but I've always been more of gravitating to songwriting, and uh, I sang and played, but those weren't really my strong suits. Mm -hmm. Although I'm a pretty decent singer, you know, Mm -hmm. but but I liked to write and I like to write a lot when I can, Mm -hmm. and so uh, that's that was a nice vehicle with the contractions. It was actually my first band, and I had a Hofner Beatle bass that I got from Spencer Dryden that was in the early, had the early Spencer Davis group. No, not Spencer driving. I know of Spence. You, too, mm-hmm. you probably knew him, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, Spencer Davis. Yeah. That was with the uh, Stevie Winwood and Spencer mm-hmm. Davis group. Yeah. And he sold me my first uh, Hofner <laughs> Beetle bass, which he nice. re- gre- regrets to this yeah. day. <laughs> 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 you know, And uh, so that was my first bass, and it was really awesome. And my first song was with the contractions was learning Link Ray.
0: Now the contractions formed in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how did you get from Texas to the Bay Area?
1: Well, I I moved. I was very young. I moved and I married Don Peck, and we moved to Los Angeles and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he was a drummer, and he actually played with Mary Monday, which was one of the early punk rock bands in the. Bay Area at the Mabui. She actually brought the first shows oh, okay. into the map yeah. for Dirk and Ness, and she, she was awesome. He was kind of like what they called back then, acid rock drummer. I met him in Dallas, and then he he wanted to to move out to Los Angeles because he had a drum instructor who was working moved from Dallas to the Los Angeles Symphony, and wanted to move out there. You know, I, I just wanted to get out of Texas, you oh, know, sure. and Dallas. Yeah. It just it seemed like my life was all planned out and I and I and I had gone to San Francisco and <laughs> I'm such a mm-hmm. hippie, I'm such a hippie. I saw yeah. the difference in airplane. And
0: yeah. So you came out here basically following a, a hippie right. kind of lifestyle and uh, when did you get how did the contractions form?
1: I was actually working then. I was I worked for a sculptor at that time a, an art gallery. And uh, I was kind of a dancer too, you know. It was less good classes, all t- different kind of dance. I really mm. enjoyed it. Tap and modern ballet, you know, just, you know, having fun. And then I was, um, worked for these uh, twin brothers that were sculptors. And I ran into another sculptor uh, that came toward the gallery. And he was telling me about an art show at Mary Kelly's... Uh, Space in the mission. Sure enough, I go there and uh, she wasn't there, but I met her, one of her roommate, mm-hmm. and I got to see this great uh, art show, Paul Lindstrom, of this uh, hand carved uh, huge Burlwood tongues and ears and, and flying bronze frogs. And it oh, was sure. really fun. <laughs> <laughs> so it, apparently, uh the roommate said oh we were just talking and it came up that 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 mary was a guitar player looking for people to to jam with and uh, of course when i get on a b about something that's all i talk about <laughs> so i was like really into my bass and yeah, yeah. stuff and so i said yeah i can do it without really being a very good musician
0: yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i said yeah i'm I can do that. I can
0: do that, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so we got together, and it was Mary and Debbie Hopkins, the drummer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Mary, um, her background was classical, French horn and guitar, and she loved feedback. Mm-hmm. And uh, she uh, was pretty amazing guitarist. I mean, she would not play the same thing twice, which is... Great, but also very crazy.
2: <laughs> oh, sure. Um, but
1: but very creative, and, mm-hmm. and the thing about the contraction and Debbie was a very good drummer. She was really tight mm-hmm. and very uh, a good drummer. So I learned a lot from them, and the th- the thing about them is that we could take a song and go to another place with
0: it. Like a covers song, or even a no. We,
1: we would do mostly originals uh-huh. and some covers, but we yeah. we would t- end up kind of jamming, which wasn't punk rock at all. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and we would kind of end up going to some weird place. <laughs> oh sure. And, yeah. um, but that was what's great about all that.
0: So it was a little bit experimental. So you yeah, you'd kind of experimental.
1: But I kind of brought the punk rock to them because mm-hmm. they weren't doing that at all. In fact, they got together because she wanted to do kind of a rock opera with this mm-hmm. song called Tribute to Industry which mm-hmm. I brought you it's yeah. really and we play drills and yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's really early before it's time about what's going wrong with the, the like the you know industry the green mm-hmm. movement it was very early 79 and it's, it's this long overture <laughs> <laughs> how can
3: deny Is obvious and alive. Ooh. Keep those are rolling. Quality in life means controlling. This is a
2: tribute to Of mate, and
3: the mate. In dollars of yen, the numbers of men Who died ever want to for me and you We made a killing killing We made a killing
2: killing We made a killing killing We made a killing killing, we made a killing. killing.
3: The Man in the street, He me out. It was on old McDonald's, McDonald's It was on all McDonald's, McDonald's. It was on old McDonald's, McDonald's It was on all my
0: You guys formed in 79 or was it before? Yeah, that? in okay, 79. So.
1: Alright. And the the contraction name, I would go and put my Hoffner bass. If you know a Hoffner bass, they're hollow. Mm-hmm. And I would put that down, because I didn't, I don't think I had a guitar stand. Mm-hmm. And I'd leave the room, and it would, like, feedback. back. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's terrible. And they would go, Kathy, don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't. <laughs> and so one day, somebody goes in the room. And this was a room where, like, the Dills and, uh, oh, God, the Offs. I don't know. These are early San Francisco punk rock bands. We're all practicing in that area, in same rehearsal hall, and um, somebody looked in the room and goes, "What's your name?" And uh, <laughs> and I forget. One of us yelled out, "The, the contractions: Mary won't, Debbie doesn't, and Kathy don't."
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you had uh, stage names and uh, band name all yeah, in one. yeah
1: yeah just from that.
0: But where were you uh, practicing at that time? Do you remember?
1: Oh, my God. Off of uh, kind of around where the DNA lounges, there was a little studio uh, down there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I forgot the name of it, but it was really great. Great people there. There wasn't a lot of girls playing music then. I mean, like girl bands. There was girl singers and backup and stuff. Uh-huh. And, but uh, but there were, there were girl bands. This was the start of a, a, another resurgence of women, like verses, and mm-hmm. there's... Uh, just a ton that started coming out
0: so the contractions how long did you guys play active
1: well i think uh f- actually f- about five years, and when we did our uh oh god this story we um of course, the contractions have to do everything ourselves right d i y and uh we had to build the rehe- we had to build the studio mary it was actually mary's all mary's studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the Mission Street Place. And we had to build, we had to help, of course. We had to build a room within the room Mm -hmm. because there was a neighbor that was sick could hear, and so we had to build really soundproof. And um, I remember taping and bedding, and they were hiking up the end of one of the things, and I was kind of stuck there. (laughs) (laughs) And we, You know, before we did our album, we had to, we had to build the studio. That's the contractions.
0: So, you're building your recording studio. For, right. Yeah, 16 okay.
1: track. Yeah, yeah. And it was beautiful. Uh-huh. And uh, Mary had carpenter skills from her grandfather. And she also worked for KPIX at night uh, doing sets and was mm-hmm. a, st- a stage director. And uh, she would come in late to the gigs at the MAB and just kind of show up off of her gig at KPIX uh-huh. all the time. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, and then when we finished the first album, it was it was called uh, Something Broke, and uh, our uh, producer was uh, at the time Lisa Wexler, Jerry Wexler's daughter, and she was helping us producing us, and she produced it. And then the 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 after the night that we finished it, the lady that complained about the studio died <laughs> oh. <laughs> <That> terrible story. <laughs> so wow. it's kind of a bad story.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you have Marge. to it.
1: Yeah. And oh. uh, so she got some peace. And uh, so we did a couple of projects. I did a Baby Buddha project out of there. I was in a couple other bands, too, with mm. Dave ha- Havalosa from the Microwaves, Baby mm. Buddha, and later on Perfect Strangers, and Mystery Train, and then... Uh, I was actually in Zazu Pitts, started that band with Steve Ashman. Mm-hmm. So I did a couple of little bands.
0: This was all stuff after the contract. Yeah,
1: contractors okay. kind of the main thing. and, yeah. and one and then one of the reasons why it was because I wrote songs. Mm-hmm. I like to write, write. And, and so I, I, Mary and I shared the the songwriting mm-hmm. and singing.
0: So, and that was when the uh, San Francisco punk scene was just really vibrant.
1: Oh yeah, and, and, and it was like there was no labels really. It mm-hmm. was just.
0: Make it wasn't it up. even really called punk. It was just the music scene. Yeah. Yeah. Any any good stories to tell from those days? Oh Dirk! Yeah. Oh.
1: My friend Dirk Dirksen, who put the you know which was the. Was the ringleader, the master mm. of uh, the punk scene there of booking all the m- bands seven nights a week in about seven bands a night
4: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, he's a great guy and uh, like on, on my birthday, a friend of mine uh, Rebecca had made this big cake or something and I didn't no. know about <laughs> and Dirk was hiding in the cake <laughs> and at my birthday he jumped out of the cake. With his dick nose and a tutu on, <laughs> I said happy birthday. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was like I wish I had a picture of that. It was great. And then you know Dirk passed away, and he was a big motivator in in our scene. You know, gave the Dead Kennedys their first shows,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Mutants, and all these bands got a break from Dirk. You know, Avengers. You know, mm-hmm. all these bands, Crime and. The nuns, all these, you know, I'm um, many, the lewd and oh, yeah. everyone, <laughs> and uh, so I worked uh, to get the city to name the street in the alley uh, for Dirk, and I wanted to to be Dirk Dirk's an Alley, mm-hmm. and so they weren't going for it for because some there were some condos there, mm. you know, and so and so uh, they said well. Kathy, you know, Tom Amiano was supervisor then, who was a friend of Dirk's and got his start doing comedy at the club, mm-hmm. as well as Robin Williams and Whoopi, Whoopi Girlberg used to perform there too. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so um, so I said, okay, let's name it Dirk Dirksen Promenade. <laughs> it was just a little odd. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking Dirk would have loved it, but it ended up being Dirk Dirksen Place. And yeah. so they changed the street. Yeah, that's great. And and then I have a cl- a plaque in the in the in the ground in between there that says "Shut up, you animals." <laughs> and it's really Dirk. It's about the scene. So that was it was that was a hard thing to lose. Dirk. He was really a dear friend of mine. And David's my husband. Mm. And uh, he used to help me with my little dog that Choo Choo that had diabetes. he taught mm. me how to give him shots. You know. Yeah. And he was like. You know, and Dirk had so much time for everyone and helping everyone, and but he always had time to help me, you know. Yeah, yeah I really, um he used to help me a lot with the here organization, mm. too, mm. as well as Ginger Coyote, too, our friend.
0: Yep, I know her well.
1: Yeah. And the here this, Ginger put that together. It was her energy with the sub- Sub City, mm-hmm. Hopeless Records, and you guys played on it, which is awesome. Yeah, it
2: was it was and great and Dirk's
1: on that one. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great punk, like a lot of great punk rock and yeah. and and a, some historic things and I put a merry very rare Monday Merry Monday
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh song on there too.
0: So, yeah, I thought it was a great collection of music. Yeah. Yeah. Here are the contractions with rules and regulations as appearing on the Hear This compilation. ask everybody on the show is what does music mean to you
1: It's i don't it's I guess it's my my um how I identify myself and my people
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's weird you know uh we are a group like we we have these musicians' hearts you know mm-hmm. or whatever it is or souls or something and that no matter as I've learned this more and more as I work with musicians at here mm-hmm uh, helping all kinds of musicians, like symphony players and bagpipe players or punk rock or whatever, DJs. We all have that musician soul. Yeah. There, I can ra- there's a thread that's going through all of us, and we are a tribe.
0: Mm-hmm. So in 1988, one of the things you're most well-known for, I would say, is Hearing Education Awareness for Rockers, which is a nonprofit group, Uh, Can you explain what led you to co-found that organization?
1: Yes. While playing with the contractions, uh, I remember one of our, you know, our album was out, Something Broke, Mm -hmm. was our album, and then we broke up. No.
0: (laughs) Isn't that how it always works? (laughs) Uh,
1: And we had, Queenie Taylor, who had worked for Bill Graham, had gotten us this gig at... Oakland Coliseum opening up for Duran Duran. It was their big night that they were doing um, recording, filming for their first MTV kind of a live show, mm-hmm. uh, MTV thing. Yeah, that was really big. It became so really sure it big, was... and so and so they decided they wanted the contractions stuff. Yeah. Someone did, <laughs> and so we were like, you know, they had all their equipment, and we had our. Thing, but I had gotten an SVT from somebody so I could have a bigger sound, okay. and we were playing, and uh, the crowd was uh, definitely a Duran Duran crowd. And uh, and uh, I remember getting pummeled by little teddy bears with n- panties and notes in them <laughs> <laughs> and screaming girls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we had a great time playing, but after the show, my ears rang for about four days, and I noticed a very severe drop of hearing loss mm. to the point where um I couldn't understand conversation people's lips moved and I couldn't hear them talk mm-hmm. and I was pretty much deafened
0: and that was because not really the music from the on stage but from the the screaming I mean, crowd pretty right?
1: crowd but also I didn't I found out later that I had a combination loss a conductive loss okay Hereditary uh, bone conduction loss and and the noise damage. Mm. So it really made me deaf in a hurry, uh-huh. and I was like deaf. Yeah. And um, the ringing in my ears wasn't really ringing. It was it, it, it mimicked bongo drums, oh. <laughs> and I could hear. I thought a drummer was outside, uh-huh. and it was really strange, very scary. And then I. Uh, went to get, sought, he- seek help, but there really wasn't anything for musicians. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a, uh, you know, a hearing organization, and I won't name names, but they were great. Mm-hmm. But I was put in a room with 80-year-olds to learn lip reading, and then I was given um, a social worker, because at that time, they looked at deaf people as something you had to fix mm. uh, that was more of a mental deficiency Oh, okay. And something like that, and they and I they wanted to rehabilitate me to <laughs> learn some other job and stuff, and it was just like I just and then so I invited the social worker to come out to see my band. I was still playing out at Golden Gate Park, and we were opening up for Santana. Yeah, he didn't know what to think. He was just there. <laughs> oh, what? How come you do this and do that? Uh-huh. You know. And so I just knew that <sighs> this wasn't right. Yeah. But they helped me. But it, this it, it needed to be. There, there was a big missing link there. And uh, so how I got here started is uh, I ran into Doc Flash, who was the uh, medical director at the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic. Free clinic yeah. he, he, he noticed somebody going by the speakers at this club and, and said, look, hey, you know, should we start something at the hate clinic for screenings? And I actually had hearing aids, two hearing aids in, mm-hmm. and I pu- pulled them out, and I said, hey, we should. And so I uh, I put together the first uh, benefit for here. It was a rock and bowl, and uh, I had heavy metal pool players
4: yeah. <laughs>
1: with Vicious Rumors, and uh, had Chris Isaac and Mimi Chen were there, and had Elvis impersonators, and people were bowling and it, like like different clubs were bowling against each other mm-hmm. and bands and and people that didn't get along at all and had I had musicians so it was like a three ring circus and then um, the weird thing about it is that the media just uh, came out in droves like there's there was like a line around the block of media waiting to talk to me mm. of uh, people time uh, PBS. Foreign press. It was like all the TV stations because it was a, It was like a thing. Like, what do you mean, musicians have hearing loss and are talking about it?
0: Uh huh. Just wasn't something people, people didn't heard even about.
1: think that music could hurt your ears. Uh
0: huh.
1: Yeah. They, they said but because it's pleasing, it's not going to hurt yours. <laughs> and so, uh, so it was. It was really big news. Hmm. So that's how it started, and it was, and we were in the medical closet. At the free at the Hadesbury Free Clinic, doing screenings and Golden State Audiology audiologist Pam Ball and Rebecca Meredith helped do the first hearing screenings. A long story, I have such a history, and we we introduced making the musician earplugs there, mm-hmm. and I early work with atomotic Research, and then later of bringing them out to the NAM shows, and that was the mission of here to bring technology out. To the musicians to help them with their hearing, so they didn't get damaged, mm-hmm. and that was quality. And so it was it was working with the medical establishment and the musician music, music establishment, help in encouraging the the creation of uh, you know. Stuff that sounds good. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Protect your hearing.
0: Well, that's always been a problem. With you know, if you just pick up some off-the-shelf earplugs at your drugstore, it's not yeah. going to sound very good if you're a musician. Yeah. And your earplugs are specially made for each person, correct?
1: Yes, they're unique. And what the beauty of them is that it's the canal mold that I make. It's hollowed and it's 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 a long mold in the ear, and it. It's tuned. It's a tuned earplug to about 3 dB resonance of the ear. Mm-hmm. And so that stops the occlusion effect, which is when you sound like you're in a hollow barrel and your high end is cut off. Mm-hmm. And then there's a little button at the end that's the filter. And that's actually a, an acoustic resonator that boosts the high end. So it's really... Of a, a
0: little mini speaker, in yeah, there. yeah,
1: and and and, it, and it's flat, mm-hmm. and so you can hear like a flat 15 decibel drop, which is just the right amount mm-hmm. to prevent damage from your hearing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My clients are like the symphony and the opera, orchestra, DJs, punk rockers, of course, oh, yeah, and uh, uh metal people. I mean, just everybody. I mean, I've had bagpipe people, I even had a a jouster with oh, a really? big helmet, oh, you yeah. know? And because of the I boing, can get it, you ring. <laughs> and who else was in tattoo artist? Mm-hmm. Cause, geez, cause of that that's noise. real loud. And a uh, uh, motorcyclist.
0: So you've got all sorts of people, not just musicians, coming in for your earplugs. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. And just people, that regular people. Because I think we did a really good job with engineers, sound engineers. Uh-huh. I do a lot of sound engineers. I was just mm-hmm. out at Paramind today uh, testing all the students' hearing. That's another thing that here does. I do workshops in hearing education in the schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not there. And mm-hmm. that's the second mission of here is to get hearing education out to all the music, at least all the music and sound arts schools. Mm -hmm. So one of the pieces of the puzzle I didn't add in was Mr. Townsend, Pete Townsend. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He actually is really the reason that here got off the ground. Oh, okay. And um, through friends, uh, I was able to, actually Susie Davis, who played with the drummer that was working with him, and um, she told me, Hey, you know, Pete has hearing loss, Kathy. You should tell him what you're doing. And so, and so I was able to do that. And then, uh, with Flash, um, I guess, wrote him a letter and uh, talked to him about what we were trying to do. And he thought that was great. And he gave us our first really big donation. And we got to meet, go down and meet him and stuff. And then he, he, talked about us in the Rolling Stone article in 1989 and came out about his own hearing loss.
0: Right, oh, that's when people got to learn about his hearing loss.
1: Yeah, yeah. and so that that press that I did, uh-huh. I ended up doing that press for decades. I mean, every day yeah. of getting, in, and it was huge. It was like the huge push. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, boing, you know, <laughs> like the, the king said, okay, you know, you could have your you're now a principality, you can have your domain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the hearing, the the princess of hearing or something. Yeah. And uh from that we started doing more like MTV and and I the Marianne Flinner from Sweden contacted me about doing a film mm-hmm. and that really helped a lot. Uh that was our first film that went out to school kids and Metallica was in it, Lars was in it and I, Pete Townsend was in that, and Meatloaf, yeah,
2: <laughs> and
1: uh, Ray Charles, a lot of it, the dead, a lot of artists, it helped. And so from that, we went out to 40,000 school districts working with the National Science Foundation and the American Physics Teachers Association. We were in the curriculum textbooks.
0: Oh, that's and great. And
1: Dirksen helped me with that, mm-hmm. with editing and that. And he used to help. He was the library for here every time mm-hmm. we needed to send these big orders in. Mm-hmm. So he was helping me a lot. And then helping me do, cut PSAs and getting them out to MTV. And at that time, uh, a long time ago when everybody used <laughs> tape and beta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it would be these huge campaigns where you would actually send it out to all this, the public affairs director. And at that time, the FCC would allow all these public service Messages and announcements. And uh, I was able to do a lot of huge national campaigns that way.
0: Hi, this is Meatloaf. I want you to save your ears for rock and roll. For more information, contact here.
3: On the World Wide Web at www.earnet.com. Here's Bill Graham with some common sense for your ears.
1: There were some doubts some years ago about how long rock and roll would last, and it's obvious to to most of us that it's going to last through this generation and many generations to come. And what we need to do now is to make sure that our hearing does to your hearing and hopefully mine and the hearing of our children. Protect your hearing. Contact the HEAR hotline in San Francisco, 415-773-9590.
0: Those were all coordinated from the, the San Francisco yeah. area. Do, do you have any chapters of here throughout throughout the world or United I States? Have,
1: I have HEAR partners, which partners. are audiologists. And so I'm able to help. I have about 150 or more that are able to help musicians in other cities. And oh, they great. can come to the HEAR office in San Francisco Bay Area, and I can help them. And then I have referrals uh, for other audiologists that are great. And they're musician-friendly, and they know how to... Help musicians, mm-hmm. and uh, that's been really great. So, I do different projects with different people, and it always changes. And sometimes, I'm working with a lot of students, like audiology students, mm-hmm. you know, that are wanting to do a project. And I just tell them how I do it. Of course, I don't have the funding in place now to do these large projects. I at one time I did used to do all the Lollapalooza tours.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there was like 26 cities and earplugs in all the cities. I would work with the TV, the radio stations, and do PSAs. But I think then we were doing stuff with uh, Les Claypool. But that—that's really hard. And we used to do spring break. It's like providing earplugs for a whole city.
2: (laughs) Jesus, you
1: know, I can't, I can't do that. (laughs) So I worked in the Bay Area to pass the earplug ordinance.
0: (laughs) Uh Yeah. What would be some advice? for people that are interested in protecting their hearing.
1: Wear your damn earplugs.
0: Wear, wear earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: wear earplugs. And the, y- there's no excuse now because there are ear pr- hearing protection that will protect your hearing that you can still hear music and mm-hmm. talk. What a concept.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can
1: actually go out, here, listen to music, and talk to the person next to you yeah. and hear music the, how it should sound, but not damage your hearing. Mm. And, and the thing is, is once it's damaged, we only have so many hair cells as a fetus. The mm. hair cells are in the in the ear, the, in the cochlea. And when those are damaged, that's it. And it's and for musicians to have hearing damage, when you d- damage certain frequencies, you lose your ability to hear pitch and tones and where sounds are coming from. So it's it's it's. Uh, it's a tragedy, tragedy. I still have our 24-hour hotline. Mm-hmm. We initiated that in the 80s, and it's still going. And people call and get seek help. And uh, I, do, I spend a lot of time counseling people that are having tonight as tinnitus, tinnitus. You can mm-hmm. say it either way. So it's the number one hidden disability, and it is one of our five senses. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we need our hearing to uh-huh. to live. And I've also worked with a lot with the deaf community. Uh, in fact, one of my offices at one time was at the UC Center on Deafness, and I learned when I was deaf. I was there with the here. I was actually running here when I was deaf, mm-hmm. and they were helping uh, me learning sign language. They helped me on a first research project where we did. I did a ten-year study on musicians and hearing loss that was published. They were really great, but there's a whole de- deaf culture. Oh sure. And to that end, we did a benefit. And we invited and what the idea of the benefit was to uh, invite the deaf community and the in mu- musicians together. And so I talked to uh, Clark Synthesis was making these tactile sound transducers, you know, like mm-hmm. shakers. Yeah. And they and and the Wanger floor people shipped in a Wanger floor, I mean, huge acoustic Wanger floor, and we had like 150 tactile sound transducers <laughs> placed in. And the idea was to feel the vibration of the music. The deaf people could feel the vibration of the music while the mermen were, oh, playing. we're playing. And, yeah. and the white we <laughs> yeah. were doing their gig, too. And the victims. So what happened? <laughs> it's hmm. the mermen played. And it ended up everybody decided to lay down the floor. <laughs> And lay down. Yeah. It was called the Vibathon. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what they were doing, getting uh-huh. vibrated. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> so it was a great thing. It was a great experiment. It got written up in Mix magazine. Yeah. But that was one my one of my crazy attempts to bring the hearing and the deaf community, which harkens back to one of our first gigs with the Contractions, because Dirk canceled our show at the Mab, our very first show. Uh-huh. So we ended up playing our first show or maybe second show, at the Deaf Club. Oh, really? And that was the club in San Francisco where the bartenders were deaf. It was their club, and they oh. would rent it out to the punk rockers. But they could hear the music because the bass was so loud.
0: Oh, OK. Wow, yeah, so, I didn't
1: know that. So what a crazy story. So here is is a very much of a passion for me. And then we have some new board members coming on the scene. Uh, we have a new film called Listen Smart with Ozzy Osbourne and... And Lars Ulrich is in this also. He's been always gracious helping. Uh, Cindy Lopper, Blondie, some other folks in there, Moby, and just great bunch of people in there. And um, I use that as a workshop to go out and do classes uh, to, for the musicians and sound art students, and even little, like Little Girls Rock, the Bay Area Rock camps. Oh, those, sure. Those kids, and they're smart, man. Mm. They're smarter than... <laughs> than anybody. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's it's really important. And then I also make custom ear molds for, for them at, at Student Right and do hearing screenings for everyone, free screenings. And uh, one of the goals I'd love to see for here that, that, that hearing conservation would be taught at every music and sound arts class.
4: Mm-hmm. But
1: it's not. Even, right. believe it or not, I did... Um, one of the first uh, hearing conservation workshops at the symphony, and they and they didn't have a program in place for um, hearing protection for the symphony.
0: Yeah, it and should the be opera orchestra almost fundamental. <laughs> yeah,
1: it should be, but it's not, and mm-hmm. and uh, so I I end up um, doing a lot of work for free just to get it started, mm-hmm. and and there's really no uh, grants uh, guidelines for them to fund it. Or for schools t- to present it and their program because mm-hmm. they're not getting funded for that. So it's 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 really I, I really need to figure some way to make that change. Mm-hmm. And I'm really determined that um, I think the first half of here has been very successful. You know, getting getting me. Mu- the word out about the musician earplugs, getting the word out period about hearing loss mm-hmm. for music, and then um, and later on also working with the in ear monitor folks for stage, so a lot of musicians and uh, you know sound engineers they're the first people they became experts on hearing uh-huh, yeah. now why is that? <laughs> I, I really feel it goes back to here because yeah. I prom- we promoted that musicians knew all about this and all the stories were about musicians but i could have had hearing education for firemen yeah, yeah. and then they would have been the ones yeah.
2: but <laughs> so
1: the thing is is that everything has a beginning and in in and, and i i certainly have a grassroots beginning
0: and you've worked on actually getting some legislation passed um i go back to 1994 when you brought a lawsuit against United Artists' Theaters. Can you talk about that?
1: Well, that was a class-action lawsuit. And I was still deaf then and wearing um, two hearing aids. And I was, like, going to the movies. One of the things I enjoyed doing with, with my husband David and, and our kids was to go to the movies, and uh, but I couldn't hear. Mm-hmm. I couldn't hear what the movies were saying even with my hearing aids, and I used to just end up just crying. I yeah. mean, like, it, it sounds, so, you know, I'm kind of a wuss.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I would just be crying, you know, it's like, oh. So um, I had an opportunity to join uh, Arnold, this other woman that was uh, in a wheelchair mm-hmm. on a class action lawsuit to bring to make it Um, It was was the first formation of the American Disabilities Act. And so we were one of the very early lawsuits in California uh, to bring uh, 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 assistive listening devices for the hearing impaired and wheelchair access into California theaters, Mm -hmm. which became a national federal act. And so that motivated throughout the United States to change those policies so that the disability... um, Folks in wheelchairs and in hearing impaired people, or just people that have a little bit of hearing loss, could actually hear the movies. Now they're re- way too loud. Yeah. <laughs> <The> <laughs> now you need your earplugs. Really uh, <laughs> I'll I wish I had earplugs in those
0: movies.
1: But it, you know, it kind of concerned me because I would look at these small theaters and I go, "Oh no, I hope I didn't like wreck mm-hmm. their business because they had to do it." But in the long run, I think it was a good thing. It's a really a blessing that I was able to to do that. It took three years of my life to do yeah. it. And I worked with Dr. Robert Sweeto, who was then um, head of the Department of Audiology at UC. Mm -hmm. And he was um, hes the one that took measurements and worked. We we spent a lot of time figuring out what was going to work in the theaters and what legislation, what... um, how things would be maintained, and uh, uh, new technology as it came in would be it would be replaced, and that so it's a federal law. So if you if you need a hearing device, they need to have it there mm-hmm. in good working order for you. There needs to be wheelchair access for mm-hmm. someone.
0: Now, uh, can you talk about your your own hearing? What is the state of your hearing? Did you have an operation or anything? I
1: did. Mm-hmm. I did have operation. And it took me 10 years before I was a candidate for it. And so um, I was running here. And Isaac Feldman was working for me. And he was amazing. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, did all my computer work and design. And he was a musician, too, and helped me with all the MTV stuff. And, and he was blind, legally blind. And I was legally deaf. Yeah. So it was a deaf leaving the blind. <laughs> 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 it was like it was, it was he was he was like awesome. Hmm. He helped me a lot. So anyway, it was a, a laser surgery. So there nothing was cut. Uh-huh. And so I guess I have a couple holes in my head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was your actual so, condition? So Keep, yeah.
1: so anyway, I was, you know, I had to be really still and mm. stuff cuz they the the tiniest bones in your ear or er, er, the ear bones, they're so tiny. This is an unknown fact factoid yeah. is that as humans evolved from the ocean, the jawbone became the little ears that we hear with. It mm-hmm. just was a fluke that we could hear because no other species, animals, can ha- have the same hearing ability that we do. Mm. They don't hear the same. We're, we're the only ones that can really understand and enjoy music. Uh, like birds do re- repeat... Music, Mm -hmm. they, they, you know, kind of mocking. They, but it's really humans are the only ones that can interpret and Uh hear music, and we're so lucky. But yet we, we beat ourselves up. We beat our ears up. Yeah, and and they were made for like hunting in the forest where you would hear, you know. Something was approaching, you, you know.
0: Triangulate on something, yeah. Or, yeah.
1: And so we have these little our little muscles in our ears that would pinch up and close. So, you, so like that. That and your muscles do that in your ear, so that your voice doesn't seem so loud to yourself. It mm-hmm. closes up. But with invention of um, amplifiers, and as it progressed, mm-hmm. it got louder and louder and bigger and bigger, and that wasn't, you know, didn't really work anymore. Yeah. And the, the all the hair cells, there's like fifteen thousand or more hair cells in the cochlea, which is about the size of a pea. And you only get that many hair cells, they're the hearings hair cells, mm-hmm. when you're a fetus and that's it. So as you the sound pressure level comes in, you they you the hair cells can crimp up or fuse together or break off. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that comes back and that at first it comes back, it's a temporary threshold shift of your hearing, but after repeated exposure or like a one-time really loud blast, mm-hmm. it, can, it can actually destroy your ability to hear that frequency. Mm-hmm. And then other conditions like tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears, which can become constant. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, display, there's another uh, uh, side effect of not hearing things in pitch
0: so the, yeah. the laser surgery, you said uh, one on each ear, you were able, did you have to pay for that yourself, or did you have, uh, was that covered medically? At the time, because
1: yeah. my husband had some insurance, I was under his insurance, mm-hmm. and I was able to do it.
0: Okay, great. It was
1: at Kaiser, and it was great. <laughs> and I had a great doctor.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, and so, but when I first got my hearing back, it was very chaotic, it became very. Um, I had hyperacusis, which mm-hmm. means I was oversensitivity to sound, and yeah. everything was too loud and very loud. <laughs> wow! So, and that's another issue of hearing damage. You can have sensitivity to loudness, mm-hmm. like everything seems okay, and then always something comes on and it's really loud, mm-hmm. or just sensitivity where it's all loud. And that Eric Lynchner had that the hyperacusis, and he's a guitarist and, and had the Professor Sledge Guitar Academy, and he used to do a lot of benefits for here. And Ricky Sledge was his name. He was
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a lot of bands back in the day, and a great surf guitarist, mm-hmm. fantastic, phenomenal, but suffered from hyperacusis and had to wear earmuffs just to go outside. It was mm-hmm. so loud. I think he's doing better now. He's still playing.
0: And so what, what uh, is your hearing considered normal at this point?
1: It's actually um, going down again. Okay. I don't know if I'm able to get it restored again, but mm-hmm. right now I can hear pretty good. I'm glad with what I have.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. I can still hear good. Um, I'm still writing music with my husband, David. We're composing. Mm-hmm. We have a publishing company, Monoma Music, where we do a lot of projects together. I'm really proud of that. It was the first time we first started working together. We did this song called So Far So Good. It was our first song together on David's uh, Diesel Harmonics record. And then, and then for many years, we didn't work together. And then, uh, but it took somebody to come and ask us to do a project, Ron Jones. And we, our first project together, big project, was writing uh, the musical for The Wave. The third wave,
4: mm-hmm. and
1: now that's published with Dramatic Publishing, and you can uh, high schools and community theaters around the world can, uh, you know, buy that to do do that play, and that was really wonderful.
0: Now, some folks may know your husband from—he was in the Steve Miller Band for a little while, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, he was in the early. David Denny, he was in the early uh, Steve Miller bands and uh, he was during the time of Book of Dreams and Fly Like an Eagle. So he went with Steve from the, from uh, really when his Steve started taking off, mm-hmm. you know, and they started riding around Learjets and yeah, from yeah. riding around in trucks. And, um, and so he has quite an experience in music. He's a really talented musician and, and uh and studio owner and uh remote recording, he's just really a geek. I love him he's <laughs> <It's> great <laughs> and uh, I met him because I was went to his studio and uh, with a band I was singing with, and I met him, and we became friends over the years and I got to marry my best friend. It was yeah, really awesome. That's great. And now we get to write together. And uh, uh, we did a the second uh, thing we did towards uh, music publishing. We did a score for a film uh, called Neon Sky that should be out this year. And uh, we worked with Carlos Reyes on violin and uh, uh, Bill Evans on banjo and uh, uh, David. Guitar and cello, celloist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it was a very, de- we, we wrote music for Bluegrass and Americana and, uh, you know, like soundtrack. And so it was really great. And long pieces, movements. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun to, to really to get into that. Recently, we worked with George McCloskey, who's a really famous Pianists around the Bay Area. He he worked with early with Barbara Streisand, and uh, he was did the Nash Bridges. He was a musical oh, yeah. director for that, and he, he gave a lot of Bay Area musicians got them their music on that show. It was mm-hmm. great. He's very generous, and uh, he's a character and just incredible <laughs> San Francisco personality. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, he was he's the per, mu- music producer and uh, wrote these songs, and we. We worked with him in our studio, David and I, and we did uh, worked on Mark Ketchell's film *A Fierce Green Fire* uh, about the Green Movement since uh, since Sierra Club. It's huge. It was a history. It was a ten year project Mm -hmm. of all the movements since the Sierra Club, and uh, it's called *A Fierce Green Fire*. And David and I, we sing on the worked on the George on the uh, worked with him on the uh, theme song and a couple of the other tracks.
0: A fierce green fire in the dying wolf's eye Revealed a world to me
3: So wild, so pure, and beautiful Destroyed by power and greed
0: It's not easy being green
3: But it's the color of Mother Nature And I'll Time of reading, rising But a better world is coming
0: Oh, there's still time. Is that available? Can people find that? Anymore? It's it's
1: being played now in uh-huh. theaters. It show it, it uh, premiered at Sundance, oh, which okay. was awesome, and then it's it's playing around, and it's uh, but uh, now it, it's uh, looks like Robert Redford might come in and and do some narration. So it's still in the it's still in festival theater yeah. uh, showings, and so. Um, they're raising funds for more production. And uh, David did the narration for the whole film. And what they want to do is they're going to have uh, Robert Redford come in and do some. And I think David might record them. Yeah. We're hoping. No, <laughs> it would be yeah, fun. That'd be great. <laughs> It'd be good to so be replaced by Robert Redford.
0: As we were talking earlier, so it's still in, a, it's still in basically production. And then you know, hopefully we'll get a widespread audience and then yeah. then on Netflix and whatever yeah. else.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's that's awesome. Great. And then we're doing some other work with George, and hopefully some TV shows. And I and I've been playing bass, so mm-hmm. that's fun.
0: So have you been playing any bands, or just, bass on just recording based on the just based on the on the project? Oh yeah, that's so fun. Crunch. Yeah.
1: I get to crunch. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> any any other projects that are worth mentioning that you may have worked on in the past?
1: Oh, I, I have some a song called Strange Stranger. I work with, it was a family thing. I work with my son and, and David. My son, uh, Mason, is a really interesting guitarist. He, he has his own style, and mm-hmm. so that was really fun. It's like when the kids come in, they're, old, they're older. They're not like little kids. And uh, really, I shouldn't call them kids, but. Well, how, uh, how old are your kids? They're in their 30s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Her middle age, yeah. so
1: but uh, uh, it, my our daughter Nicole is a great singer and she writes too, mm-hmm. and Mason is a guitarist and an engineer and so we we like to jam together, play music. It's great.
0: Oh, that's great. Any other things that people should know about you? Anything else you want to tell people?
1: I'm kind of a nerd. Uh huh. Yeah, I like I like uh, I like. Physics, sci- like, not the math part, but I like, oh. <laughs> I like the, the concepts. The concepts, uh-huh. theoretical physics. I like to read science, uh, you know, theoretical physics to relax. Is that <laughs> really <weird?
0: laughs> Yeah, I'd say that's that, pretty yeah, nerdy. Yep. Yeah, I'm <laughs> kind of That's all right. I'm a nerd, too. My wife would say the same
1: thing. Uh, right. <laughs> I love that stuff. Yeah. I love nature. I like to get out and Go to Yosemite and just get away from everything
2: mm-hmm.
1: you yeah.
0: where, where where are the websites that people can go to learn about um, here and your publishing company just- well
1: here.net.com. and I've been on the internet since I have, it was the first thousand websites
0: oh wow <laughs> I had a team
1: from Stanford build it and at first uh, there was a lot of uh, had a lot of hearing Companies coming after me, wanting my website, ah. and I had to fight that off, and I won.
0: That's great. It was
1: amazing, you know. So, and I did one of the first media cast on the internet with MediaCast.
0: Well, it was like streaming media.
1: Yeah. Oh. And that was the Vibathon.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, that was HearNet, and so HearNet. Has a lot of history, um, and uh, but people can come in and get hearing screenings. You know, uh, mostly I work with musicians and people at clubs, and actually a lot of bartenders and people at the clubs, and and uh, you know they can get musician earplugs and you know help with their hearing.
0: Where is the office located, and is there a phone number?
1: <clears throat> I'm in San Francisco, and they could just email me here. H-E-A-R at Hearnet.com. or the
0: so best way to get a hold of you.
1: Uh-huh. Or the office phone is 415-409-3277, uh, uh, 409-EARS. Our our music site's Monoma Music. It's named after our kids, Mason and Nicole. Mm-hmm. Actually, her name was Monica, and when yeah. she was little, she changed her name. I thought that was pretty Independent. She's yeah. very independent. <laughs> she really is. Yeah. So it's monomamusic.com. Oh, great. So.
0: Well, thanks, Kathy, so much for, for being on the show. Is there anything else that we missed?
1: No, you're great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're great.
1: <laughs> so uh, I guess I want to tell everybody to enjoy their music and don't be afraid about enjoying your music. I mean, we, we want... People, I want people that have to listen to music for the rest of their life, and mm-hmm. enjoy it, but I want them to be careful with their ears. And there's a lot of people I think that uh, maybe hears missed because we're we're limited of grassroots, limited of what we can outreach mm-hmm. to. But all all kinds of people could benefit because in the long run, you know, it's. Uh, you're, you're, you're saving your ears so you can do your career or you can enjoy music, which is the best thing. We should all be supporting the music and the arts. And, yes. Yeah. All right, well, thank okay, you. thanks. Again. thanks. All,
0: right. all right. Thanks again to Kathy Peck for the awesome interview. Check out Hearnet.com for more information about here. We leave you now with Strange Strangers, performed by Kathy Peck and her family. When
3: I went back to my hometown Strange strangers, all I found Strange strangers looking at me They were just so strange to me Strange strangers looking at me They were just so strange You're not my face
0: links of interest featuring kathy peck the contractions.com and M O N I M A M U S I C m-o-n-i-m-a m-u-s-i-c.com thanks again for checking out music live radio if you really enjoy the show please go to itunes and write a review we'd appreciate it thank you